Lucy Gills, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. You heard him, folks. I'm playing the Greasy Gills again this week on Monster Kid Radio. It's episode 408 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I love the Greasy Gills. This is one of those bands that I found looking for music to play here on the show, and I've just fallen in love with what they do. So I thought I'd play their song Tequila Bill as the intro and outro song this week. Plus, we'll be playing another song by them about midway through the show because we actually have an interview with the Greasy Gills this week, courtesy of filmmaker, musician, fellow podcaster, friend of mine, Brett Stillo. So that's going to be coming up, and it's a first. It's very cool. We've never actually had one of the bands appear on the show as a guest, as an interviewee. Yeah, that, that's what it is, interviewee. Anyway... Brett ran into them at a local show where he's at. He was in California, busted out his microphone and his recording device and did about a 10 minute interview with them, which was really cool. It was recorded outside. So every once in a while, the audio gets a little loopy, but I did everything that I could to make it as listenable as possible, which was easy to do because Brett got some great content for us. So that's happening. That's not all that's happening this week on the show. We got a lot of really cool things happening this time around. We do have a weird Wednesday report, but it's not your traditional Weird Wednesday report because Jeff Pelier, well, he was sick, just like I was last week and just like Brenda is this week. So he couldn't call it in. So I reached out to some buddies of mine, people that have been on the show. It's been a little while since Christopher R. Mim has been on the show. So he answered the call and he actually read the written Weird Wednesday report that Jeff sent in. So you're going to hear Chris reading Jeff's words for the Weird Wednesday report. We do have a famous Monsters of Filmland segment, but it's a unique segment because the movie we're talking about this week never appeared in Famous Monsters of Filmland. How are we going to do Kenny's Famous Monsters of Filmland segment? Well, you're going to have to keep listening to find out. What movie are we talking about this week? We are talking about a really cool film from the 40s, terribly underrated, which is why it was never mentioned in Famous Monsters of Filmland. The movie is called The Vampire's Ghost, and I'm going to be talking about it with my friend Todd Brown from The Haunted Cinema. That's coming up. We've got all this ready to go this week on Monster Kid Radio, and we're going to get to that right after this. walks among us, more terrifying in human form, striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. <coughs> the creature walks among us, horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us, the grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotion. Boss Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program.
Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Ladies and gentlemen, here is an important message from Jack H. Harris, producer of 4D Man. Imagine a check for $1 million being made out to you. In my new film, you will see 4D Man perform feats never seen on the screen before. And if you, any one of you listening to me, can actually perform in real life the feats ascribed to 4D Man, $1 million in cash will be yours. Your admission ticket to see 4D Man in widescreen and color may be worth $1 million. 4D Man is the most amazing motion picture ever made. The story of one man who solved the mystery of the fourth dimension. Even in this century of wonders, when science holds nothing to be impossible, you'll gasp in awe at the feats of the 4D Man. In color to thrill you as never before, 4D Man. Hello, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's film and its maker were never featured in FM, so today I want to start a special edition entitled Famous Monsters and Me. These special editions will be opportunities for you to share your experience on how Famous Monsters influenced you. Send Derek your stories and we will share them with the other Monster Radioheads. The first episode of Famous Monsters and Me will be part one of a series about me, of course. My first encounter with famous monsters was in a pharmacy in Eugene, Oregon in the fall of 1971. I was seven years old. I was looking over the magazine rack and caught a glimpse of the horrific image on issue 86, the poster image from The House That Dripped Blood, featuring the head of Peter Cushing on a platter, being held by a beautiful woman with a half-skull face. It scared the crap out of me and caused nightmares for years. It was one of the last issues I added to my collection for that very reason. Whenever I would see the thumbnail of that cover in the back issue department, that initial shock and fear would return. My next encounter would come a year later. I was in a greeting card shop in Vandergriff, Pennsylvania with my Aunt Debbie. In the shop was a large magazine stand. My aunt asked if I wanted anything, and the beautiful painting of Frankenstein shouted out, Take me, take me, and my life was changed forever. It was Famous Monsters number 94 with a sepia-toned portrait of Boris Karloff from Bride of Frankenstein, painted by Manuel Perez Clemente, also known as San Julian. Inside were fabulous articles on Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, The Mummy, Murders in the Rue Morgue, the Herbert Lom edition, and Dorian Gray. My favorite, though, was a look at the prehistoric section of Erwin Allen's Animal World. I was a dinosaur nut and had the Viewmaster slides taken from that film. I recognized them and learned about the makers of those dinosaurs, Willis O'Brien and Ray Harrison. You heard me right. I misread his name and had to be corrected by a Monster Kid friend later who told me it was Harryhausen. From then, I became a lifelong fan of Ray and Famous Monsters. Don't forget, we want to hear your Famous Monsters memories. If you have them, send a letter or audio file to Derek and we will incorporate them in this series, Famous Monsters and Me. for you in every room in the house that dripped blood. A madman lurking on the staircase. A severed head in the closet. Coffins in the cellar. 
vampires, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in The House That Dripped Blood. Only the mind of the man who gave you Psycho could give you The House That Dripped Blood in color from the Cinerama Releasing Corporation, rated GP. Tobor, the most amazing, the most fantastic creation of his mind. Oh, he looks alive. For Tobor can live where no human can breathe in the airless atmosphere of outer space. And the nation first to conquer space controls the world. Electronic scientists have designed a practical spaceship. Atomic power makes space travel possible, needing only the most valuable of all secret scientific achievements. Space conquering giants that man can control. Tobor is alive. For even though much work remains before he's completed, he is already a sentient being, a necessary adjunct to the recording of all experiences our human space crews may later encounter. Since we cannot get in to see Nordstrom's secrets for ourselves, we must induce him to come out and tell them to us. They have no news of Professor Nordstrom or the boy. Neither has the Los Angeles Police Department or the FBI. I take it you want the formulae for my extrasensory transmission method. Gramps, don't you tell him! Don't you do it! Please, don't you tell him! Go, Gramps, go! All right! You win. Tobor, bringing you chills you've never known before. Tobor, the most human outer space man ever seen on Earth. Be sure to see Tobor. Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a man A man Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong. Creature from the Black Lagoon or Godzilla. If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off. End transmission. Hello, this is Christopher R. Mim, the writer and director of the films of the Mimiverse. I've made such modern classics as The Giant Spider and The Monster of Phantom Lake, Guns of the Apocalypse, Demon with the Atomic Brain, and I have a new film coming out here in April called Queen of Snakes. If you're a regular Monster Kid Radio listener, you've undoubtedly heard of these movies, and uh, I thank Derek for constantly supporting what it is I do. But I'm not just here to talk about myself, no, I am helping out this week, because Jeff, who normally does the Weird Wednesday Report, is, well, not feeling so great. There's something going around the country right now, and believe me, as I record this, Literally half my family is sick with it. But Jeff being the trooper that he is, he still sent in his report via email. 
So Derek asked if someone would do the honors of reading the Weird Wednesday report, and I jumped right on it because I wanted to help out and do my part to help make Monster Kid Radio the best dang podcast on the internet, which, when anyone asks, I literally tell them that. But also because I figured, since I have a new movie coming out called Queen of Snakes in just two short months, I wanted to take advantage of the vast Monster Kid Radio network and get word out so that people are aware that in addition to my 13 other feature films, I have a 14th coming out very soon. So here it is. This is the email that Jeff wrote to Derek. Hello, Derek and the Monster Kids. This is Jeff writing in with a weird Wednesday report. I've been ill, and any audio I'd try to make would lead to lots of coughing, so I'm taking fingers to keyboard instead. The weird Wednesday movie at the Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon, was Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. This is an Italian film from 1961 and dubbed into English. I was sick that day, too, so I watched it at home because I didn't want to miss out on a title like that. In so many ways, this looked like the episodes of Perry Mason that I grew up with. The direction, the cinematography, the music, the acting all seemed to come from that same style. I actually checked IMDb to see if the director, Paolo... Who? Paolo Hoosh? I... This is me again. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's H-E-U-S-H. Hoosh? <laughs> had done any American TV. He had not. Where this movie takes a sharp right turn from good old Perry was by, well, having a werewolf. The gore level is tame by today's standards, but wouldn't have been seen on TV in 1961. The movie does treat lycanthropy as a medical condition, not anything supernatural. The story takes place in and around a reform school for convicted teenage or teenage-ish young women. Soon after a new teacher, a former doctor, arrives, deaths start occurring. Of course, he's a red herring and the actual hero of the movie. Murder, blackmail, and sex for favors. This reform school needs some reforming itself. The hero is played by Carl Schell, the older brother of Maximilian Schell, and he does a good job. The female lead is a beautiful and doe-eyed Barbara Lass, perhaps most famous for being the first wife of disgraced filmmaker Roman Polanski. This is far from a great movie, but an enjoyable way to spend a little time. I shudder to think what a modern filmmaker would do with the story. I think I'll stick with the relatively chaste original. Have a great day, Monster Kids. I'll be back with another Weird Wednesday report. Signed, Jeff. Now, this is me speaking again. I am a modern filmmaker, but I make old-style movies, so were I to take a crack at this film, it probably wouldn't be very different than it actually is. So... I'll take a pass. Not that that was like a challenge for me to give it a try, but I mean, you read a title like that, it definitely sounds like something I would have made. I mean, I made a movie called Cave Women on Mars, for Christ's sake. So it's not entirely outside of the realm of possibility. If you're interested in learning more about my films, please go to my website at sainteuphoria.com. S-A-I-N-T-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A dot com. Or if you can't remember or spell that, go to thegiantspider.com and it'll take you to the same place. In addition to Queen of Snakes, which I've already mentioned, is coming out very soon, I'm working on another movie called That Which Lurks in the Dark, which is kind of a horror comedy. 
I'm also working on a few other projects that uh, I haven't talked much about publicly. But if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, it'll give you the ability to stay up to date on everything that's happening in the Mimiverse. Visit my website. Perhaps pick up some of my films. Or if you're one of those modern types who likes to stream everything and has access to Amazon Prime, you can watch my entire catalog on there. And hey, if you feel like that's the way to go, remember, you're still helping me out. For every hour you watch my films on Amazon Prime, I get six cents. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Derek, for giving me this opportunity to help you out and promote my films. Thank you, Chris, for reading Jeff's email about the Weird Wednesday Report. And listeners, he mentioned Queen of Snakes. I'm not going to be able to get to the world premiere of it, but I can't wait to see it when I get it on DVD. Check out queenofsnakes.com. There will be a link in the show notes so you can learn about this movie. The special makeup effects done by the incredibly talented Mitch Gonzalez. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, Chris has some new stuff in the works as well. You need to head over to SaintEuphoria.com to learn all about that. And from there, you can even subscribe to Chris's podcast that he does once a month. And I guess now is as good a time as any to say, this is what I love about Monster Kid Radio is people sending in these different segments. I love Kenny's bit. I love what Chris did here with Jeff's bit. I love it when Jeff calls in. I know Dr. Tongue's got another monster collectible segment probably coming in next week. Listeners, if you want to contribute to Monster Kid Radio, drop me a line. We'll talk about it. We'll work something out and we'll make you a regular feature here on the show, just like the Weird Wednesday Report. Again, Chris, thanks, man. And Jeff, get better soon, dude. Join this safari into a green hell of horror in search of a secret fortune in diamonds and gold. I want that money so bad that every time I close my eyes, I can see it. Marla English, a woman possessed by a passion for wealth. Tom Conway, a man maddened by his lust for power. Touch Connors, a white hunter entrapped by an adventuress's black heart. Lance Fuller, victimized by desire. Mary Ellen Kay, a blonde captive in the darkness of voodoo land. Not man, not beast, but a combination of the best of each. Voodoo Woman, an experience in terror that'll tear your nerves to shreds. Secrets torn from the earth as old as the earth, combining voodoo witchery with the most advanced of medical sciences to create before your very eyes, Voodoo Woman. centuries, science has studied Mars, the only planet where life may exist. Now the screen creates for you the fascinating, frightening spectacle of the first flight to Mars. Hurtling through the universe, rocketing toward terrifying dangers. Good heavens, we're heading right into it. This could destroy us. We'll have to get out. Of it. <laughs>
on toward Mars with disaster threatening at every moment. Human emotions caught up in the terrific tension of the flight. Here is the suspense, the surprise, drama of the unknown. Flight to Mars. We have been expecting you. You will come with us now. Amazing underground Martian cities, a planet of wonders, both scientific and human, of exciting beauty. Do you still object to my proposal? To destroy these people and all the people on the world as well? Yes, I do. Our planet is dying. If this ship ever leaves here, it may well be our last chance for survival. You know the way we've constructed this thing? There's a good chance we might be able to bring back a couple of extra people. I didn't want to tell you until I was sure of it. But you're going back with it. Tense, exciting adventure on a planet of forbidding danger. Starring Marguerite Chapman and Cameron Mitchell. In January of 1974, the American Broadcasting Company brought forth on this continent a new sitcom conceived by Derry Marshall and dedicated to the proposition that the 1950s were awesome. That sitcom was, of course, Happy Days. It ran for 10 years and 255 episodes, casting a long shadow across American popular culture. Week after week, millions thrilled to the adventures of Richie, Fonzie, Joni, Potsy, Ralph Mouth, and the whole gang from Milwaukee. Hello, friends. I'm Joe, and I'm half of the broadcasting team behind These Days Are Ours, a podcast dedicated to all things Happy Days. Together with my co-host Emily, we'll be exploring the series episode by episode, breaking down the themes and telling you what it all means. You can join us on this journey by visiting thesedaysareours.libson.com. Just like the original Happy Days, we'll have new episodes every Tuesday. Be there or be square. What's better than getting locked in the house with Vincent Price? Getting locked in two houses? I guess. I, I don't know how that works, but I do know that Vincent Price films are going to be playing here at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon this weekend, this upcoming Friday on March 1st. I guess that's tomorrow as of the release of this recording. House on Haunted Hill is going to be playing, and I believe it's a film print. It's not digital. And then the following night at the Hollywood Theater, House of Wax is playing. So these are shows that are happening at 7 p.m., and you're going to get much more than just the movie because Victoria Price is in town, and she's going to be at both screenings, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I'm at both screenings because I love going to the Hollywood. I love these films. I love Victoria Price and I would love to see you there if you're in the area. I know Kelly Hogaboom from B-Movie BFFs is going to be at the House on Haunted Hill screening and I just heard from future guest Charles Babbage that he's going to be going to House of Wax. So, you know, you can run into me. You can run into Kelly Hogaboom who's been on the show before. You can connect with Charles Babbage and talk to him about Metropolis because he and I have finally scheduled that recording. That's going to be happening. I would just love to meet you as well and of course, Stick around to listen to Victoria Price speak. She is amazing. Check out the Hollywood Theater's website. That's Hollywood Theater, and that's R-E, not E-R at the end, because oh, 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 it's hollywoodtheater.org, and you can buy your tickets ahead of time, and I hope I'll see you there. 
This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. Hello, Monster Kid Radio fans and not fans. This is Brett Still. I am here with... The Greasy Gills, recent featured artists on this self-same program. Hello. Hello. Hey. How are you doing? Excellent. Great. I yeah. just saw you guys for the first time. You were awesome. Thanks. You put the instro in instrumental. This is a great band. We didn't talk too much. No, no, you didn't, talk, you didn't talk too That's much. That's always no, first no. concern. I'll say, I'll say you reminded me a lot of Shadowy Men from a Shadowy Planet. You had that really multi-textured sound so instead of me talking about how good you are why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell me just a little biographical background information about the band where you where whence have you come for how long have you and etc like that so how long will we <laughs> how long will, how long whilst you and why am i talking in a ridiculous robin hood <laughs> i'm gracie i play drums in the gracie gills i'm sam i play bass I'm Jordan, and I play guitar in the Greasy Gills. Awesome. Where does the name the Greasy Gills come from? I think it came out of Jordan's mind. We were just exchanging ideas. name ideas, just things that are silly and things that we... It's easy to come up with joke band names that are funny that you would never use or like a band name for a different genre that you always think is a joke. But then I just, we were just like, this is it. This I works. didn't like it at first. I thought it would be really hard for people to understand the alliteration. And I'm also having the problem of people thinking I'm saying my name. Greasy, Gracie. I was thinking about making up a fake name for this band just to avoid that. Or just going by Gil. Yeah, yeah. yeah Gracie Gil could be a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I gotta ask, you know, since there is a certain creature from a certain black lagoon that is featured prominently in your artwork, is there any connection with the name and like are you guys fans of said creature from Black Lagoon? I'm a large fan of that creature. <laughs> large. Yeah. yeah. There is definitely a connection. Right. Yeah. I I think that, I was think when that is what you, you liked it. that is right. That's what made me accept the name is I got on Photoshop and started making some of the art for it. And Wait, this works. I was like, hey, yeah. paired with this stuff, I think it really makes sense and yeah. it could be a thing. Well, all the art, it's worth mentioning, is done by you. It's all done oh. by Gracie Malley. Except for the, you know, all this, <laughs> the musical art is done by all of us. Well, that art. Yeah, that's art. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, that's yeah, art the musical too. art. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, with, with titles like Frankenstein's Mug yeah. and uh, Crash Head Mummies. Mm-hmm. Are you guys fans of monster movies? Not necessarily horror movies, because we know there's a difference. Yeah, absolutely. There are horror movies, and there are monster movies. Are you guys fans? Of- oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horror. <laughs> right. Gracie just pulled out a water bottle with a horror sticker on it. That's it is correct. That no. was horrifying. <laughs> Sorry. You wish it said I, monster. I wish, yeah. I think we're fans. I, it's good. Uh, yeah. It's absolutely. just good themes, and it's good imagery, and... Like I think I was talking to you about before, we have written some songs just based on titles. Yes. And so the titles have been Title themed first. that yeah, way. And then, <laughs> like Crash Test Mummies, yeah, that was totally a, that was, just a joke. That we was were, just a concept. Yeah. But I think, I don't even know how it came up, but we yeah. thought it was funny. 
So we should and write a song about it. We we're, like, we're like, what sounds like, what a song would be Crash Test Mummies? And then you came up with The Riff. The riff. <laughs> and yeah. then Sam was cracking up. <laughs> Just in I picturing. can envision the mummies crashing together, <laughs> running at each other, basically. Oh which, and, which you guys uh, I think tried Amanda to did yeah. in the video, which was yeah. my next question. You guys have a couple of very cool videos. Thanks. I like your use of archival footage. Thank you so much. And, uh, who, are, are any of you behind the videos as well? It's cool that you have a visual uh, direction as well. Yeah. Um, me and Jordan did both of the videos that are out so far, the Tequila Bill video and the Crash Test Mummies video. We went on archive.org, saw what spot. we could yeah. saw saw what we could see and and picked out some stuff that we thought could work. Just whatever we saw in there we decided we would use and it ended up working out great. It, yeah. it really fits aesthetically the sound and then you have thick Rainy black and white film. So yeah. you guys, it's what's one thing's cool about you guys is you have a look and a sound. You are a multimedia extravaganza. Nice, thank you. That's <laughs> cool. Huge. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad people are picking up on that. And yeah, I'm glad. no one's really talked to us about the videos before. So I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad people are seeing them. So Great. I, I like the video as much as I like the songs. I would like to point out that we are outside in so-called sunny California, and we're all freezing here. <laughs> So I, I I don't want you guys to freeze because that would be. I sick. feel good. Yeah. I'm, great. Good. I'm great. I'm great. You got a nice leather jacket on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks warm and. But, yeah. And you guys are you guys are based here in the the San Francisco Bay Area. You're, you're in Oakland. Correct. Basically, yeah. Not just in Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. East Bay. Yeah. East Bay. Various East Bay. Yeah. How long have you and how long have you guys been playing? That's June. July? I think. Well, I think well, March. You guys, yes. Sorry. March of 2018 yeah. was, the, was the first. Was yeah, the first song was born, yeah. and we didn't really know what was going to come of it. But here we are, February 2019, and there's a lot of songs now. And yeah. Band. Less than a year, ladies and gentlemen. Record label happened recently. Yeah. It's all pretty awesome and, in and such a short were, amount of time. You were featured on an award-winning. Monster podcast. That is correct. Which, uh, the, was it two episodes ago? At this point, yeah, it would have been I think two episodes ago, um, and I just forgot what the title was. Yeah, I, I noticed that the the latest one is a mummy themed one. And yeah, I, I thought modern folks trying to make horror movies that have that feeling of a classic monster. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what the vibe is. Yeah. Hi, Derek. Uh, they're freezing for you, man. Uh, oh, hey, Derek. Um, I hear you're in Portland. We're going to be playing at Turn, Turn, Turn on April 6th, Saturday, April 6th, if you want to come and hang out. It could be fun. I'll be here in San Francisco. Uh, so yeah, real quick, to get back to the monster theme, do you guys have any favorite classic monster or horror movies? Again, I think Feature from the Black Lagoon or whatever lagoon you choose, I think that's an obvious one. Any I, others from that era? I think Revenge of the Creature is the best one. I don't know if that is a controversial opinion or not but I find that I enjoy that one the most I wanted to like Creature Walks Among Us because the concept of the creature like in the city like busting the cafes and wreaking havoc is cool but it wasn't quite that right. so I, I would have to agree with you I think yeah. But, yeah. and that and there's a moment of havoc wreaking in the revenge when he's like tipping over the car Yeah. and when he breaks out I just wanted to see him like disguised in a cafe <laughs> That's what I really wanted to happen. So maybe, 
You said people are making retro themed horror movies, and we could do that. We could make yeah, like, like a modern a we creature could make in what the you city. wanted that yeah. to actually I be. Think, I, I think if you were to make any like, you know, get an old surfer wetsuit and like put you know blue golf balls to it or something like that, you know, spray paint, and it's like the cheesier the better. Yeah, I think we this is doable. Yeah. doable. Well, if there's anybody out there who's doing these films, right? We want to partner. Want to partner with you. Um, what we we. What's Attack the of the Crab Monsters. We watched that, is, that one. Uh, what's the one? What's the one with Gort? Gort. Uh, oh, it's like Earth Day. Earth Day. Still. Yeah. That was really good. That was actually like. It's quality heavy. cinema. Yeah, it was. Not it was as like, monstery, but still, I guess the aliens. It's yeah. I feel like yeah. Maybe it ties in. Maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe it's breaking the rules. Know, I, but I think we could argue, debate back mm-hmm. and forth yeah. as we're freezing. It's Gort a monster. <laughs> It's definitely a big scary threat. It's yeah. a guy in a suit, so it's monstrous. Yeah, right, right. Cool. cool. So, so what does the the phrase? Were you guys familiar with the phrase "monster kid"? And do do you have a definition for that? What do you think that means? A monster kid. Maybe like someone who grew up during the time of these monster cinemas coming out. That's that's good. I don't know. I know that it's "monster kid" is a cool radio program that, like, you know played music that we had which was exciting so that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's that was the first that was the first true. time i heard the term monster kid was monster kid podcast i think is i also yeah. think i i have some vision of like a fake like tabloid news thing of saying monster kid and then there's like this weird alien looking thing but i don't i don't know about that yeah what what's the correct answer no, there, yeah. there is no correct answer. Yeah. Just what is your to get answer? An opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, yeah, it's some, it's a, it's the kind of horror that appeals to like the kid in all of us. It's that, you know, Saturday afternoon matinee kind of a monster movie. It's, <laughs> it's not, mo- it doesn't have the, the darkness of modern horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but within that, it can be something that's old. And kind of fun, but old, or there's old and truly scary. So True. that's my yeah. definition. Beautiful. Saturday matinee. That sounds nice. Yeah, Saturday matinee. Saturday matinee. Anything else you want to add to that? It's been a. It's been great. It's been fun. And icicles are forming. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I'm still, so, okay, actually, I'm still sweating from the from playing earlier. So actually, actually, so you're going to Portland in April. Is this part of a little, like a little classic rock and roll band Northwestern tour? Sort of. Yeah, we're yeah. playing with some good bands up there. Yeah, we're doing Seattle the night before that with the Boss Martians and the Delstroyers. Very solid. Very solid. Yeah, actually, Boss. Yeah. <laughs> Great band. Legendary band. Yeah. yeah, we were very excited that they agreed to play with us. And we're, we're still booking it. We're still booking yeah. the tour. That's cool. But though, at least we know that there's going to be three shows going on early yeah, yeah then we have an april 17th show with messer chops at the bottom of the hill Great. in san francisco yes it'll be a good time it's wednesday night but it'll still be a good it's time it's messer chops so yeah it's gonna you, be good you guys are on your way you've mentioned two really cool instrumental bands one who isn't even from this country yeah. i know yeah. the boss martians are from mars <laughs> <laughs> right. 
planet. Good one. Yeah. So you're yeah. really Very making some headway. So. Intergalactic and international. <laughs> yeah. They do break the rules and sing sometimes, which is actually cool, which is, I am okay with. Boss Martians, I like it. I still want to hear them. We saw them. They played the Ricky Nelson, Hello Mary Lou. And I've never been able to hear it ever again because they didn't record it. It was a one-off thing, and I've just mm-hmm. hopefully they're it's been not, very inspiring. I don't know if they're not listening, but maybe y'all <laughs> record Mary Lou. If anybody knows them, or we'll do it yeah. for you. Yeah, I could do that. Cool. And any recording plans? Kind of, maybe. Yeah, we were we we're talking to Evan of the Boss Martians about recording in his No Count Studios uh, the day after we play our show together before we play in Portland so hopefully we'll do a couple of the new songs that we've written and that have not seen the light of day again that's fantastic well you know before we get hypothermia I uh, want to say thanks and look forward to seeing you guys again thanks. thank you thank you thank you listeners I mentioned it before when they were on the show and I'm gonna mention it again the greasy gills can be found online they've got a Facebook page and a bandcamp page bandcamp is where I find most of the musicians that I play here on the show if you go to thegreasygills.bandcamp.com, you can buy their album bodega boys which has the song Tequila Bill on it, as well as Frankenstein's Mug. That was the song that I played on a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio. And you know what? They mentioned the song Crash Test Mummies. So we're going to play that here in a second. But right before I do, I just want to let everybody know that if you are in the Pacific Northwest, California-type area. You can see them at a couple of different places on April 5th. They're playing at Slim's Last Chance Saloon in Seattle with the Boss Martians and the Destroyers. And I've had the Destroyers on the show, too. They're an excellent band. They're going to be playing again here in Portland on April 6th at Turn, Turn, Turn with King Ghidorah and Don of the Quixotes. And then in California, they're going to be going back to California to play at Bottom of the Hill on April 17th. This is all available on their Facebook page. Go check it out. They mentioned playing Turn, Turn, Turn on April 6th, and I think I'm going to go. You know, I live here in Portland, and the music scene is crazy here in Portland. However, I can count on my hand, on one hand, how many live musical events I've been to in my entire life, let alone just me living in Portland, just overall. I, I've been to a Run DMC concert. Uh, you know, I've done little things here and there with some friends, but nothing cool like the Greasy Gills. So we're going to make sure that I get out there for Turn, Turn, Turn. And if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, I would love to go with you because I don't know what to expect. Don't make me do this alone, guys. Anyway, let's go ahead and play Crash Test Mummies, and then we'll get on to the rest of the show.
This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Monster Kid Radio listeners, you heard him when I recorded at Monster Bash, and I've been wanting to have him back on the show proper for a while, and he picked a movie, and then it went out of print, and it was hard for me to get my hands on, and then scheduling, and blah, blah, blah. Todd Brown is on Monster Kid Radio. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Awesome. I am thrilled that we finally made this happen. We've been kind of circling each other, and like I said, the movie was out of print, so I can get my hands on it, and then, yeah. Yeah. We're good to go now. <laughs> although although there is a new Blu-ray of it from Olive. So that's yeah, out. yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Well, that's what went out of print for a little while. Oh, did it? Amazon. Well, Amazon was out of stock, so uh, I had to go elsewhere. But Got it. Got you it. Know. Mm-hmm. But I got my hands on it now. Of course, we're talking about the movie The Vampire's Ghost, and we're going to get to that. But first, listeners, if you don't know who Todd is, Todd is the man, the mastermind behind one of the coolest websites out there. It's called The Haunted Cinema. Uh, it started pretty much with you showcasing your collection of paper memorabilia, posters, things along those lines. But it's kind of expanded over the years, hasn't it? Yep. Uh, actually, way back when it started, I used to sell DVDs a very, very long time. Um, that, that was when you could still actually make a dollar selling DVDs, and then it kind of got too competitive. So I've had the Haunted Cinema domain name for... I'll bet you probably six, seven years, maybe even longer. And uh, it was only recently I decided to, um, some of it, like you said, it started out to showcase my collection of movie posters. I'm, I'm a big movie poster fan from, you know, mostly 50s, 60s, 70s exploitation. And the posters were the posters way better than the movie in most cases. And uh, so I started with that. And, and some of it was for insurance purposes. Hey, if I put them up on the website, if something happens to my house, they know I have it. But then I was like, we need to do something more than just have posters up. And uh, so I started thinking about, well, I could do news. And I'm like, eh, you know, every there, there's, you know, 50, 100 websites that do it a lot better than I would for news and, and that kind of thing. I thought maybe some reviews. And again, you go and there's, there's people who are doing it so much better and so much more in depth on reviews. And I tripped into a interview with a horror host couple down in Australia. They run Horror House. And I interviewed those guys and I thought, you know, maybe I could do interviews. So I started doing interviews and I release one a week. It's, it's kind of a brutal schedule, but I do interviews with, you know, the artists, the authors, creators, horror hosts. I did it once with a guy named Derek Cook, who runs a pretty successful podcast. That was pretty fun. Uh, he's a hack. He's a hack. <laughs> and uh, it's been fun doing it that way. Like I said, I think it's kind of unique pushing those interviews out from collectors. I like talking to collectors, to filmmakers, to mask makers, to poster folk. You, you name it. If they're doing something in the genre that makes it fun, I'm interested in talking to them. Yeah, I'm looking at your interview list here, and you've got variety of filmmakers uh, like Josh Kennedy earlier this year, uh, Dr. Lady, who is just an amazing uh, wealth of knowledge when it comes to like masks. He's, so much, masks. Fun. He's so much fun. Yeah. And, and over the years you've done, 
so many in like like I was fortunate enough to be included as well, which is very cool. But listeners, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this. Uh, the interviews are great. The movie posters are just gorgeous. I mean, I cannot get enough of just looking at these movie posters and these various pieces of promotional uh, art. Uh, whether it's something that was used in a movie theater or a drive-in or just a flat-out one-sheet or a three-sheet. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous stuff, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm running out of wall space in my house, though, for a lot of them. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you need somewhere to store them, I've got some wall space here. I'm oh, just saying. Excellent, excellent. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so have you always been a fan of these kinds of movies? Absolutely. I was very lucky. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio area. I'm from the 60s. I was born in, in the early 60s. So I kind of hit the sweet spot for monster stuff. And we had not one, not two, but three horror hosts running at any one time. So, wow. I, you know, I had the ghoul. I had Big Chuck and Houlihan and later Big Chuck and Little John and then Superhost on Saturday. And that's where I saw all of my Godzilla films was Superhost on Saturday. So it was a great time to be a kid. It was a great place to be a kid to see these films. Growing up with these movies and seeing all the, you know, all the different ones, I just became a natural fan. And then, then Star Wars came in. I was I was there when it opened. And that was it. All those things put together. I have been a lifelong fan and, and continue to be a lifelong fan. Right on. And there, there's kind of sort of a, a very minor Star Wars connection to the movie we're talking about today. Yes, well, there we'll, is. Just this small, kind of sort of. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk mm-hmm. about Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, to grow up with three horror hosts going at the same time. I mean, today it is so hard to find... I mean, just one, unless you've got me TV, just one in your area on the broadcast television. What's funny is in, in the Cleveland market, there's two that are still going that got the mummy and the monkey. And uh, we also have son of ghoul. He's in the, the Southern Cleveland market in, in Akron. So even today we still have two horror hosts that are active in the market. Yeah. In the Cleveland area, that part of the country seems to be more rich in horror hosts mm-hmm. than say like where I'm at. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, that's great. And the M- Mummy and the Monkey, I've, I've met, I've hung out with, I've chatted with at Monster Bash. They're great. I haven't really spent a lot of time with Son of Ghoul, mm-hmm. but he seems cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he's doing the stuff we love. So uh, he's okay yeah. by me. I mean, that's really what it's about, right? I mean, yep. if we love this stuff, we want to celebrate it and share it with people, which is what you're doing through your website, which is what I'm doing here on the podcast. And there's just kind of like an instant community yeah, absolutely. around those things. And, and, you know, you said that with community. And I have found, even with the interviews and all that stuff, it is. I think our community and the genre community is one of the most diverse. First off, you've got people who like all kinds of different things, but at the same time, the most giving. You can meet somebody for the first time and be lifelong friends over these shared movies that we all come to love. So it's a great community. It's great to be a part of it. You know, I've always wondered about that. Why is it that this particular genre, you know, classic monster stuff, classic genre material, how is it that this community seems to be the one that we all have big conventions about and we create magazines about and we do horror hosting. I mean, what is it about this as opposed to say romantic comedies? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And very rarely do you see, you know, controversy. Do you see fans tearing each other apart? You know, it's really, everybody is, if you're a, a fan who loves the new modern gore filled stuff, there is accepting of the people who love the classic movies and vice versa. They may not watch a lot of them and, and the classic folks may not watch a lot of the new stuff, but they all come together at these conventions and it's just like a big family. And everybody's like, hey, man, you like that? That's cool. Let me show you what I like. And that's cool. It, it's a great community. It's great to be part of it. 
It really is. It really is. And because of it, I'm able to meet people like you, sir, and get you on the show. Absolutely. What a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's something we do on every episode of Monster Kid Radio. Yes. You know, and you did it at Monster Bash. I, and I've been studying ever since. Oh, you've been studying now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of your show, I have to say. I, I love to hear what everybody says, their opinions. It's great. It's great. For people who don't know or people who are, are new to the show, or I don't know if we've done it lately because we've been doing other types of episodes. Anyway, uh, the Classic Five. It's a game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio every guest we have on every week we try to bust out this deck of cards here and they are actual cards that i sold at monster bash and i'll have them again this year as well uh they are questions each one of these cards has a question about monster movies this or that which movie do you prefer type questions there are no wrong answers and we're going to play a round of the classic five todd are you ready to play i am absolutely ready all right here we go card number one let's pull this right off the top what is your favorite man in ape or man in gorilla suit movie my favorite ape movie you know i'm gonna go pretty far back and murders in the rue morgue with bella lugosi I, I think that movie well first off it's probably one of the earlier ones but i think it also sets the stage the atmosphere the tension that still gives me the creeps as i think about you know what his experiments were and what he was trying to do great film and i love the ape in that movie Oh, Lugosi's fantastic in that. It's hard for me to find a movie that's got Lugosi in it, though, that doesn't get me going. True. And, you know, and the ape work, the, the the suit work is fantastic. I just really wish they didn't cut to all the close-ups of the real animal. Yeah. Yep. You know, but. I, I think that was their attempt at saying, look, this really is a, this really is a gorilla. You know, we're, we're not pulling one over on you. I think that was an early attempt at special effects that. <laughs> yeah. Eh, it, whatever. I mean, the movie's still great. Yep. Still awesome. All right, card number two. This comes from the Deep Cut deck Ooh. that will be coming soon uh, at Monster Bash. What is your favorite Barbara Steele film? Oh, boy, you know, and it's funny because I was just watching Barbara Steele in Nightmare Castle not too long ago. And oh, then nice. I, and then I started deep diving into some of her filmography and, and going, boy, I've never seen that movie. And boy, I've never seen that movie. I'm going to have to say, though, and it's probably, bet you everybody picks, is Black Sunday. I think that movie is phenomenal. The sound you hear is dripping blood. This is the start of Black Sunday. Black Sunday comes but once every hundred years. On that day, the undead demons of hell rise to unleash an orgy of evil on the world. From Nicolaj Gogol's great classic, American International Pictures presents Black Sunday. The most frightening motion picture you have ever seen. She was murdered 500 years ago. There in the barren waste that was her cemetery, they nailed the mask of Satan to her face. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has there been such an unspeakable day and night as Black Sunday. In fact, I've got a, uh, a line on uh, uh, the mask of Satan that gets nailed to her face. I've got a line on somebody who makes those that I might be getting one pretty soon. Oh, man. You've got to <laughs> post pictures, man. you got to post I pictures. I will. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> but yeah, so Black Sunday, I think it, that's a hard-to-beat movie. I mean, uh, for, for lots of reasons, not just Barbara Steele, but it's a hard All right. So moving on to card number three, who is your favorite mad scientist? My favorite mad scientist. 
I'm going to go for an oddball pick, and, and, and I don't know if – I love them all. First off, I love mad scientists in general, but I'm going to pick Whit Bissell from uh, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. When the stitches are out, he'll pass for a normal, quite attractive teenager. I want him to know and feel pain. What I create, I must control. Go on, activate this body. With Bissell, demonic as Professor Frankenstein, who creates out of human parts the most terrifying creature to walk the earth today. I think, I don't know if anybody's ever brought wit up, but I think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he was, he was a loon in that movie. My man. <laughs> See, this is why you and I get along. I love those two teenage monster movies, the Frankenstein and Werewolf. I agree. Uh, and, and Whit Bissell is just, oh, he's just so good. He's like the, the, the American Michael Ripper. He turns up in so many things. Exactly. Uh, he is so great. And he's entertaining uh, so, every time. Oh yeah, I mean, even though he's in those two, where you know, Teenage Werewolf and Teenage Frankenstein movie, they're still two different characters, and they're still just phenomenal. Yep. Right on. Well, speaking of Teenage Werewolf, who else could have or should have played a werewolf? Who else could or should have played a werewolf? You know, I've been thinking about this guy. I, I also there's recently I watched, um, and I don't know if he'd make the best werewolf, but I think it'd be very interesting. Is uh, he's only done a little bit of genre film, so I was watching it conquered the world, and Lee Van Cleef leaps to mind. Oh wow! <laughs> I think he would make a pretty good werewolf. He's got the features for it, definitely. Either a werewolf or like a were coyote or something. Exactly. Just like, yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yep. So that would be my pick, Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> All right. And final question. This comes from the the second core deck that I'm developing right now. What's your favorite Val Luton film? Um, oh, Cat People. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the Cat People. Women whose kiss means death. Whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. I've been followed by something that was not human, something that attempted to take my life. I believe that was the cat form of Irena. Why should she wish to harm you? Because I'm in love with her husband. It's shut, Val. Just a minute ago, it was open. Not only an easy pick, but it's such a good movie. I mean, it is, it is, it is a bar-setting movie. For anybody, you know, trying to filmmake and trying to do what he did, and the, the photography's great, and, and no, I, I think Cat People is probably my favorite Val Luton. I like I Walked with a Zombie too, but I like see I go back and forth between those two. Yep, yep, I, I really do. But yeah, Cat People, yeah. <laughs> think about Val Luton movies though, and I think I've said this on the show. Whatever Val Luton film that I saw most recently is my favorite one. Absolutely, because they're all so great. Yeah, I don't think that he did a bad movie. I mean, I don't think you can look at one going, eh, he was off that day. You know, they're all just one after the other phenomenal. Well, that was the Classic Five. Todd, how do you feel? I feel good. I feel great. You're right ready, on, you win. You talk about vampires. <laughs> right on. So 1945, mm -hmm. the movie The Vampire's Ghost is released. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people really think about this film when they think about classic vampire movies. 
But I think it's underrated. I think it's an interesting take on the vampire mythos. Yeah, there are some unfortunate things regarding how darker-skinned characters are portrayed. But still, I mean, it's one of those things. It's Hollywood. It's the 40s. It's yep. kind of just how it was. But it's a really interesting movie. What's your experience with it? When did you first see it? So I was on Amazon. I'm trying to fill out. You know, I've got my movie collection. And I'm pretty broad in what I like. I like contemporary all the way back to silent. And and I was looking at the shelf. And I said, boy, you know, my, my 40s era, it needs to be expanded. So I was kind of looking, digging through, trying to find something. And I think I clicked on another movie. And, and, you know, on Amazon, it'll say, oh, people who bought that movie also bought this movie. And I saw the vampires ghost. I had never heard of this movie uh, prior to that. So I took the chance and I ordered the olive Blu-ray. Um, you know, it's a Blu-ray and I don't think it was very expensive at the time and uh, was blown away. I'd never heard of this film. I'd never seen this film. And I, I slapped it in and, and it was a great film that I agree with you. I think it's a little bit underrated. I think it's underseen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the forties, you know, when you had son of Dracula and, and all the other things, uh, clamoring for attention, I think this one kind of gets pushed to the back. Mm-hmm. Some of it, I think might've be cast. I don't think the cast was as strong in this film as it could have been. I think if it was a slightly different cast, this might be, you know, revered in the hollow, some of the other movies that came out, but all in all, it's a strong film. And like you said, it does some, some interesting things with the vampire mythos. It's like when Hollywood was still trying to figure out what, what are the vampire legend do we want to bring in? What do we, you know, we've kind of settled now on what it is, but back then it looked like it was still in flux and it, it really challenges some things. I think all in all, it's a fairly solid film and, and definitely an enjoyable watch. You know, it's not that long. Uh, it, it's, it's, Seems like it runs kind of short to me. It's just under an hour. Mm-hmm. But but I'll tell you what, they pack a ton in that hour. I oh, mean, this is yeah. Th- this is a little bit Indiana Jones, a little bit Casablanca, a little bit uh, you know, you name it. It's got uh, great jungle scenes. There's there's a lot of fun in this movie to be had. And and I want to talk a little bit about the cast and all that. But I mentioned earlier, there's kind of sort of a Star Trek connection. Or excuse me, not Star Trek. Well, technically there is there too. But we'll talk about that. But there's a Star <laughs> Wars connection. Yes, kind of sort of depending on how much. Lee Brackett really wrote of The Empire Strikes Back because she passed away pretty early in the screenwriting process. I think she was first draft. I think she wrote the first draft and then handed it over and then uh, Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas kind of took it and then kind of claimed it for their own uh, and Mm -hmm. changed. I think the first draft exists somewhere out there. I've never seen it, never seen what she wrote. And Lee Brackett, you know, you talk about her, she was a screenwriter. She had a phenomenal career, not only in Hollywood. I mean, she worked with Howard Hawks and wrote, you know, some of the big names, Rio Bravo, The Big Sleep, some of the the, the biggest noir films, you know, and, and cowboy films back in the day that we've seen. Um, oh, yeah. She did it, but she was a big science fiction writer and author. I think they dubbed her the queen of the space opera. Um, so, you know, as you look at this cast and from the director on down, she's really the only one that has a lot of genre experience compared to to most everybody else in this movie. Exactly. You know, the other thing she was known for was her pulp writing. And and this film has a lot of that feel. I mean, it's got a lot of feel of the, you know, the early pulp Tarzan-y and those kind of things, the jungle stuff. I think you can see her thumbprints all over this movie. I can see that totally. Yeah, this would be something if it was adapted as a short story or even a short pulp novel, mm-hmm. it'd, it'd be perfect. It would fit perfectly. And Lee Brackett does bring that sensibility to it. This was her first screenplay credit, which, you know, I think is kind of cool too because it holds up. It, it's quick, it's efficient, it's lean, it's mean, it does what it needs to do. There's not a lot of wasted material at all. No. She wasn't the only screenwriter on here, but 
I mean, what she brought to the table is evident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, her other, her other uh, John Butler. He was. It was. Mo- and you'll see this with most of the cast. They all came from the Western uh, mm-hmm. side of things, and, and obviously in the '40s and '50s, westerns were the king of the movie theaters for the most part. Yeah, she was the only one really who brought a lot of genre experience to the film, and I think it shows. And I think it. And I think it's for the better. I think it does this film the better for it with her involvement. Now, are you aware of the Hammer Films connection with this movie through her as well? No. So Lee Brackett wrote the novel that the film The Unholy Four was based on. And The Unholy Four was a Hammer film before they started doing all the horror stuff. They were doing these film noirish type movies. Uh, was, this one was directed by Terrence Fisher mm-hmm. in 54. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of neat, too, to see that turn up on her yeah, filmography. It's absolutely. Like, wow, so we got Star Wars, we got Hammer. That's cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, she did it all. You know, back at a time when, unfortunately, it was odd to see a woman, you know, have that opportunity to do that much stuff. You know, it, that, that's great. It's just her her influence is great in this. And I wish people knew more about her. Should be a book in there. Somebody out there in, in Monster Kid Land should write a book about Lee. <laughs> write a book, do a biopic, you Absolutely. know, whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. Well, I also... I, well, I slipped and said Star Trek, but technically there is a Star Trek connection here too, because our lead vampire guy did appear in an episode of Classic Trek. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. One episode and, and Lost in Space as well. And Lost in Space and actually played Frankenstein not once, but twice. Uh, once on an episode of The Monsters, he plays Dr. Frankenstein the fourth. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not familiar of this movie, but apparently he played a Frankenstein character in a movie from 1982 called Slapstick of Another Kind. <laughs> That one doesn't give you much hope, but <laughs> it no, it, yeah. I want to see, uh, he was also uh, in the movie Cry of the Werewolf, which is another film I'd like to see. I don't think I have seen that. Cry of the Werewolf. I'm trying to, there's so many titles. <laughs> After a while, you watch so many of these movies. <laughs> no, I know, exactly. I don't think I've seen that, but uh, and, yes. And, and so many of them have the word werewolf in them. Like, did <laughs> I see that one? Absolutely. I'm pretty sure I saw that one, or is it just the werewolf that I'm thinking of? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not helping with the titles, buddy. Especially when um, you add the Paul Nashie films. Then there's all kinds of werewolves. Oh, and I'm diving into those now. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're talking about John Abbott here. Yes. And the guy's just got a look. You, you can't see him and think, oh, yeah, character actor. That's right. Actually, I saw somebody describe, especially in this movie, he looked like a young Don Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow and i don't know if that's fair or not but uh i couldn't help it once i read that i couldn't help but seeing it every time i watched the movie <laughs> huh i think it's his eyes obviously i he <laughs> mm. hmm well <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm trying to okay now you'll not all right you'll not unsee that now yeah thanks <laughs> uh and uh my co-host on the plan nine by nine podcast and dear friend scott morris would not forgive me if i didn't mention that he also did a voice for the jungle book yes uh, the disney film uh, the jungle book he played the wolf character yep, that's right so yeah I, I actually liked him in the movie although they kind of changed tone on him but i thought starting out he was fairly tragic and then he just became a bad guy <laughs> a straight up bad guy right we're, we're talking about the vampire's ghost not yes jungle right. book okay yes, no, all right yes. <laughs> I don't know if the wolf was a good guy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, he, he plays a really interesting character. And even though the movie's just under an hour long, he's got quite a, I'm going to say arc. I mean, he's got quite this, this deep story that could be totally fleshed out into something much bigger. And I love his monologue at the beginning. I, I, I thought that was great where he's talking basically about walking through the centuries, you know, the kind of the, the tragic 
tale of of the vampire, you know, doomed to walk the earth kind of thing. I thought his opening monologue really set the tone for this movie. It really did. And it does set up, like you said, it's got a little bit of Indiana Jones flavor to it, too, mm-hmm. because of where we're at and we're out in the... In the uh, Bakunda. Yeah, that's the name of the country. I wrote it down. I was trying to figure it out. Bakunda. This is not a real place. No. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. I didn't make a check, uh, take a moment to look, but no, Bakunda, it's this nebulous, I guess, African yes. Yes. place. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and then it co- they have the map and they show it's like dead center of Africa. So you're supposed to realize it's like deep, dark mysterious Africa is where this is all set <laughs> where everybody communicates by drums. I love that. I loved that too. I mean, the movie opens with the titles being played over one of the Africans banging on these drums. And you're thinking, okay, when you first watch the movie, this is just, you know, they're setting the tone, whatever. This is what they say they do. No, this becomes a vital part yes, absolutely. Of, of the climax, really the way they communicate. It's telegram basically for them in Africa. Yep. And it was a great plot device to move the story along because they would get like, kind of snippets. The, the, the main characters get snippets of what's being talked about between the, you know, the, the different tribes. No, I thought that was a very effective storytelling device in this movie. It was very, very interesting. I really liked that a lot. So we've kind of danced around it. John Abbott does play our vampire. Mm -hmm. Uh, He plays a character by the name of Fallon, and he's in the deep, dark Africa with a handful of other people. And and like you said, the rest of the cast, I mean, they're okay. Mm -hmm. They do what they need to do. uh, But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't want to single her out, but Peggy Stewart's character was really, really vanilla. Uh, she was plays the lead. The main girl, Julie Vance, mm-hmm. didn't have a lot to do in this movie, although she she seems to know the most about vampires. She got a, she got a nice exposition piece in the middle of it. Yeah, that's she, true. She didn't have much to do. The guy who played Thomas Vance, Tom Vance, he he was in The Mummy's Ghost and The Mummy's Tomb as a coroner both times. I have to re- go back and rewatch those. Um, Darn. But I'll tell you, the the two characters in the movie, I thought Lisa, the the girl who danced, played by Adele Mara, and Captain Jim Barrett, the captain, uh, played by Roy Barcroft, were the two most interesting characters other than the vampire in the film. (laughs) I thought they... Really? Yeah, I wanted to see them them a little bit more. I especially want to see them, and we'll get to this later, I don't want to spoil the the conversation, but I want to see their after story. That's one of those sequel movies that I'd love to see, (laughs) is those guys. (laughs) Well, I want to hear about them. What is it about these two characters that that engages you? I think when you talk about the two female leads, and I guess you consider Peggy Stewart's character, Julie, versus Adele Mara's of Lisa. And Lisa worked for Abbott's character, the, the, the Webb Fallon. That's the vampire's name is Webb Fallon. By the mm-hmm. way, I thought Webb Fallon's bar, I, I really thought it was Casablanca if it was done with vampires. It just seemed like Fallon's <laughs> Cafe America. <laughs> it, I loved it, though. I loved it. <laughs> I did. But she danced for him. She was his dancer. Um, and then Barcroft plays Captain Jim Barrett. It's kind of interesting, and I kind of tried to scratch my head as I was watching this movie, going, okay, this takes place in the dead center of Africa, yet it's kind of a port city. Yeah, I wondered about that. How does that work? <laughs> so I wasn't sure if it was like a big river, maybe. And that's why I was like, well, there's just going to be a big river somewhere and they're just trading up and down the river. But I thought those two characters, you know, again, and when you look at Lisa versus Julie, um, Lisa had the most to do. She had the most range. I mean, I think her character had the most involvement where Peggy Stewart's character of Julie was kind of, you know, she was the, the, the engaged, the fiance of our other main character, uh, Charles Gordon's character. 
Roy. She was a, he, she, but she didn't do, she didn't have much to do other than she was the target of the vampire. I think that's not a surprise if anybody watches any vampire movies, they get targeted. Um, but Lisa had the most to do. She had her dance, of course, and then she had a little bit of conspiracy to try to get out from underneath Webb Fallon and, and with uh, Jim Barrett, the captain. And they met a tragic end. I mean, they were, they were, the vampire got him. And he alludes to later on in the film that they were going to rise from the, the earth as well as vampires. And again, I'd love to see that story. I think that'd be a great sequel. <laughs> so we need to find out who has the rights to this film. Exactly. Is it in the public domain? I don't think it is, I but who really does. Yeah. Who's got the rights? Cause that would be really interesting to watch. I'll tell you who I liked mm-hmm. uh, my favorite. Okay. Maybe not my favorite, but one of my, um, who I found really interesting and engaging was father Gilchrist. Yes. Yes. Played by Grant Withers. Uh, he is the local religious figure here. And the the African natives do seem to appreciate his presence there, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yes. But what I really like is towards the end of the film, when they're all going to go out into the jungle to go after Fallon, well, Father, you should say here, oh, no, I know this jungle better than, yeah, he's ready yeah. to go. He's, he's, he's a man of action. And I really liked that. Like that, that would be a cool adventure to follow. I agree. And I loved his, he had the pith helmet with the, uh, the, the Catholic <laughs> robes. I thought that was a great look, you know, yes. and you've alluded to it a couple times about the, the natives in the movie and how I will say one thing. Now this is a, a definite, you know, you can't see colonialism without seeing this movie. I mean, it is all what it is. And, and oh, you, know, yeah. they the, you know, the church to them or whatever. However, from Simon Peter, the, the main hit servant at the house, to the trap. If you look at it, though, they were the only ones who actually knew what was going on the entire time. The the regular cast, they were as clueless. And, and I mean, you could hand them, boom, here, here we're going to give you the, the, the keys to the kingdom. We're going to tell you everything that's going on. And they would just look at the evidence and, and see something else. The, the natives in this movie or, or those characters, they had him pegged, Webb Fallon pegged, from the very beginning. From their drums to early in the middle of the scene, there's a scene where they try to kill him. Um, they knew what was going on from front to back and, and never once wavered. You know, it was the, the main cast who couldn't see it, I guess, is the best way, the way to put it. You know, that's a really good way to put that, that, you know, even though, like you said, there's colonialism here and, you know, the religion coming in and everything, even though it's not over the top, it's, it's still present. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. From the very beginning, you know, I, I would be even willing to say that that native that we saw banging on the drums during the opening credits, he's telling somebody about Fallon. Exactly. Exactly. Later on, they they pull him out. I mean, they squarely say it's Fallon, but it, it cracked me up because, you know, Fallon comes in, all of a sudden deaths start happening both in the, the out surrounding villages and, and then in town in Bakunda. And uh, nobody's putting it together that these things didn't happen before Webb Fallon came. And the drums are beating out Webb Fallon's name left and right. And they go, nah, I don't think it's him. I think it's somebody else. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and the natives are going, man, what do we got to do? Do we got to, you know, paint the guy, you know, with blue and just stand him in the middle of the the market for you guys to understand? You know, like I said, of all of this, the natives were the ones who were again, kind of facepalming themselves going, gosh, what do we got to do to spell this out for these people? Mm -hmm. Well, and eventually they're like, well, we just got to take care of it ourselves. Exactly. You're right. There's an attempt on Fallon's, well, I guess, quote unquote life. Yep. 
And that was a pretty exciting sequence, I thought. Exactly. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what they did with the vampire myth in this movie. It's really interesting. Before we do that, I do want to mention Simon Peter. You mentioned him real quick. He's played by Martin Wilkins, and he is also in I Walk With a Zombie and Mm -hmm. Zombies on Broadway, which are a couple of other movies that are squarely in the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse. So just wanted to throw that out there. And and I think, yes, he played, you know, he played the native, so he speaks kind of like the Indians in those movies spoke. You know, they they had to break up their English a little bit. But I think, I don't think they missed treated his character too much. I thought he had respect. The main cast listened to him for the most part. I think his character was treated sympathetically and not just a cartoonish. Sometimes Mm -hmm. back in those days, you know, African-American players could be cast in more cartoony roles, you know, Mantan Moreland and some of those more cartoony roles and serious roles. I think Simon Peter was given a little bit of seriousness to his role. I mean, take away the language, uh, how he's had to speak his lines, but I think his character was pretty good. Yeah, I, I could see that. And like you said, they, they do seem to be the ones who know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he did such a good job. They promoted him to, uh, the role of, uh, I think, witch doctor or chief yes. in the movie voodoo woman. Yes. So, <laughs> so, you know, you know, you know. That was one of the things when I first started watching this, you speak of that real quick, not to go off on a tangent, but when they started talking about, you know, voodoo in Africa, I'm going, what are you talking about voodoo in Africa? You it's know, like, come on, but I, I researched it. That's where voodoo started actually. Sure. And, and in, in about the center of the country, it really influenced Haitian voodoo. It wasn't quite what we know you know, in Haiti and, and down in the deep South. But um, yeah, voodoo actually started in Central Africa with some of the tribes in Central Africa and then obviously moved moved West. Sure. Or East rather, or West, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I guess East would be the long way around. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> 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 so the vampire you're talking about the vampire mythos yes. and it's it's really interesting there's no turning into bats yeah. you know there's none of this stuff i think probably the most obvious there, there are two things that are kind of the two most obvious holdovers from what we consider the traditional vampire myth there's the mesmerism and the uh, earth from your homeland yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're, chained, you're, you're chained to your grave i think he said it yeah mm-hmm. which really cool but the mesmerism uh that he performs yes it's it's not done with like moving your hand around which is what lugosi would do which was awesome not just downplaying that at all but he just looks at him and the wild thing about it was where he does that to roy and and kind of again it happens in the middle of the film he locks roy and tells him first off yep i'm everything you think i'm the vampire i'm the bad guy blah 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 you're not gonna be able to tell anybody about this And, and roy didn't walk around kind of like a renfield enslaved he still had you know his thoughts he still he couldn't though he couldn't articulate you know, he wanted to tell everybody what was going on, but he was almost forbidden to because of this mesmerism. So he still mm-hmm. had his own agency, except for in this one spot where he couldn't, again, he couldn't communicate what was actually happening. He even tried to throw the box of Earth out the window at one point to stop the vampire. And the vampire came in and caught him, obviously. Well, and the first time we see Fallon perform this mesmerism, it's on a an angry, was it a sailor? Yes, yes. Uh, in, in the bar who's upset about losing at a, I guess it was poker, some gambling yeah, game. Yeah, that was Roy Barcroft in that. Yeah, he Jim. comes in. He comes in so upset. You know, no man can win that, you know, that many mm-hmm. games in a row. Uh, and Fallon just locks onto him, stares at him for a little bit, and he stands down. Yeah. And, and, the, he, and he looks terrified as he's doing it. It's yep. great. And he says, you know, he tells his, his shipmates. First off, I liked how, by the way, every single guy who was a ship, you know, somebody to do a ship, were dirty as heck. I mean, those guys look like they rolled around in mud, which I thought was probably some pretty good realism to the to the roles. But yeah, they, they he, you know, he told his shipmates, I don't, I've never done that before. I've never stood down a fight. You know, I don't know what happened. The other thing about that is, and I think it's an implied part of the vampire's powers, 
is that he can almost curse people to death. So he, where the where where Captain Jim lost his money, he took the money. You know, he was gambling against uh, Webb Fallon, and Webb Fallon wins. You know, he's rolling snake eyes every time he rolls the dice. And uh, when he goes, he just takes the money and gives it to another guy, right? He says, here, here, take the money, take this guy's title to his ship, you can have it. You know, the guy's like, oh, round's on me. Well, the next thing you hear is, oh, what happened? You know that guy who got all that money, you gave all the money to? Yeah, he goes, oh, he died of a heart attack out in the, the street. The implication is that basically Webb Fallon killed him, that, that even though he didn't bite him in the neck, he didn't do any of that stuff, that his power was able to curse him to death out in the right. street. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That was a cool power that they have. Which... Again, at this point, we don't have that kind of locked in, this is what a vampire does mm-hmm. kind of approach. And you can play up different aspects of this without having the guy in the tuxedo or turning into bats or even having fangs. That's right. That's it's right. really interesting and, and probably save them some money, but really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, other, the other big thing about the vampire they change in here is he can walk in the sun. Other than we're having to wear sunglasses, basically, that, that he's... Uh, the, the sun hurts his eyes, he's able to walk in broad daylight. They go on some expeditions, they do whatever to the, the villages, and he's able to be in straight sunlight without being affected as dramatically as obviously if, if a hammer, you know, Christopher Lee walked out in the sunlight, he's, he's killed. You know, it's killed right. how many vampires in the movies. He's able to do this. And again, keeping that that vein of, he, you know, the vampire could be standing right next to you and you'd never know it, That you know, that whole deal. Which is fascinating. And, and that, that's something that I think people sometimes forget is that that's in the original Bram Stoker novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Dracula can walk around during the day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, that, that is something that was baked into the Dracula mythos from the very beginning that a lot of people, I think, like, well, that's not as dramatic as it <laughs> could yeah, be yeah, on right. screen. So let's just kind of brush that aside. Right. And I also like this is where Peggy Stewart's exposition on vampirism came in, where she said that the creation of the vampires was he was denied heaven because of crimes he committed in life. That's how one becomes other than being bitten originally. And this guy, a, a Webb Fallon, uh, we come to find out has been alive since the Spanish Armada, 1588. Uh, I think he talks about being alive at, which is kind of cool. And, and he was given the box that he has his grave dirt and was given to him by uh, Queen Elizabeth Regina at the time. He talks about for services he did to the crown. Um, I think that was a pretty cool take. A little bit of backstory for his vampire character is that he's been around for 400 years, basically, at this point. Do we ever really find out what his serious crimes were? He alluded to it. He didn't say who, but uh, there was a girl that he allowed that from whatever he did, it caused her death. That 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 was what his crime was, that he caused the death of, of an innocent person somehow. He didn't get too deep into it, but he did talk about it's something that he did caused her to die. And uh, that was why he was cursed. Yeah. And again, it's, it's that efficient storytelling that while it would be interesting to know, mm-hmm. we don't need to have it all spelled out. Exactly. And I also liked where in the scene where Roy is going to throw the, the grave dirt out the window, um, thinking that that will get rid of the vampire. They changed that a little bit too. He did say, yes, we're chained to our grave dirt, but he would be able to go back. He had enough time. He said, I think before the next full moon, he just had to get more grave dirt and he'd be okay. But you know, if it went past the full moon, he'd probably be in trouble. But he alluded to that, even though the dirt's gone, Dracula and the other movies had to return to his coffin every night and sleep in the earth and all that other stuff. He had till the full moon to get another box of dirt, basically. So it might set him back, but it wouldn't stop him. I feel like that's another thing that kind of worked into this vampire mythos as well, is tying things into the cycle of the full moon. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Making that an important part of it, which I 
don't think I've seen at least vampire films of this era. Right. I'm sure it's turned up somewhere else, but yeah, I actually like that because they the the moon played. You're right, played a big uh, part of this in the scene where we talked about earlier, about the middle of the movie. Um, they're going to try to you know figure out what's going on at these villages, and, and Webb Fallon goes with them on this trek through the jungle. Which, by the way, I thought the jungle scenes were really cool. I mean, it really felt like they were in a jungle. I'm sure it was a soundstage or something somewhere, but it felt very jungleish uh, as they showed those montages of them walking through the jungle. Um, but they get to their camp. First off, you have the, the, the rifle trap, you know, and, and the, there's a <laughs> rifle trap that they trip into and, and the bullet hits one of the natives in the arm, grazes him. And that's another that goes back to Roy goes up to him, you know, Webb, are you OK? No, I'm good. It missed me. And the natives are all going, how could, you know, they're later, they sneak into his while he's sleeping. There's no way that missed him. You know, if I got hit, you know, the one native going, if I got shot in the arm, that bullet had to go right through. Webb Fallon. And sure enough, they pick up his shirt. And there's a big bullet hole through both sides. And so they know, right? The natives at that point know he's the vampire. Mm-hmm. And uh, But right about that time, what they're going to do, I guess, the way to hurt a vampire or kill it is silver. And so they take a spear and they dip it in silver, which I thought was pretty neat. And right as they're going to do this, they get attacked by the other natives, right? From the other villages, because they also know the vampire's there. They get in a gunfight kind of deal. And Simon Peter throws a, the spear at Webb Fallon and gets him, uh, you know, right in the middle of the movie. You think, wow, man, this is a fast movie, right? <laughs> uh, that's where the, the, the moon comes into it. So, you know, Webb Fallon gets Roy to pull the spear out and he saw, you can see Webb Fallon suffering, the vampire suffering because of the spear. The, the natives thought that would kill him. It didn't, but that's when he hypnotizes Roy and tells him, you what you got to do is you got to take him to the top of the mountain, put my box underneath my head. When the moon rises, I'll be cured. And that's what happens. So they add that whole thing of the regeneration comes from the moon again, that, that, mm-hmm. that if he's there with his box of dirt and the moon comes up, he'll be cured. And he was, which is pretty neat. Really, really cool. And I, I want to go back to where the natives, uh, the one guy finds out or, or discovers there are bullet holes in his shirt, but no bullet hole in the man or yep. the vampire. And this is also something that I've always really enjoyed about not just this movie, but Son of Dracula, which came out two years earlier. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, at least today, if you do a vampire movie and you show a vampire getting shot with a gun, you do see the bullet hole and it just heals up real quick. Right. In this movie and in Son of Dracula, the bullet just passes through them. Right. And I think that's really neat. <laughs> I did too. I thought that was cool. And I'll tell you what, that shows if I'm that native in that thing, and I'm pretty sure that he's the vampire, I'm not going into that guy's tent while he's sleeping, not only looking at his shirt, but also he picked up his, while he's sleeping, kind of picked a look at his, his chest to see if there was a wound. That took some guts from that guy. I, I don't think, yeah. in any, you know, I'll be the one going, somebody else go do it. <laughs> you know, I'm here to support you. I'll give you the moral support, but I'm not going in there to check that out. Because if he is what I think he is, you know, that's not going to work out well. <laughs> I'll keep watch. I'll keep watch. Yeah, you go yeah, ahead. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to. <laughs> that scene is really the turning point where he goes from sympathetic, tragic vampire to full on bad guy. I mean, he becomes the bad guy after that point. And I think he even tells Roy while he's hypnotizing him is his goal is to to destroy peace and happiness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, that's a pretty good broad goal there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if we didn't think he was a bad guy yet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He is the bad guy. No, that was that was cool. And he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to go after uh, Roy's fiance. That's the one part I had the biggest trouble with is. 400 years on the earth and Peggy Stewart's a lovely, she's a lovely actress, lovely person. I don't know if that, if that's the most interesting person you've met in 400 years, 
and I get it. It's got to be for the movie. But sometimes you watch these films and it's like they go after, you know, Mina Harker or whomever. And it's like, man, those are the most important, the most interesting people you've met all this time that you want to make them into the vampire. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, but that's what he does. So he's going to destroy their piece of happiness by going after Julie. Uh, Roy's, sure. Roy's, and he can't do anything about it either. So <laughs> <laughs> overall, I mean, this movie, I feel like delivers a lot more than people give it credit for. Like you said, it's underseen. I think it's underrated. And now that it's on Blu-ray and that's what I've got now is the all of films Blu-ray, which it's all of films. So it's bare bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's no special features. I think it looks great. Whatever they did for the transfer, it held up. Yeah, It does. It does look great. And, and again, it has so much to offer. You've got the jungle scenes. You've got the, the Rick's cafe scenes like Casablanca. You've got at the end, and they go to the, the Temple of the Death Cult, right? And uh, they, they got that going on. That's where you see, I think, Lee Brackett's pulp experience uh, come through in this film. I mean, this film could have been a Doc Samson story, right? You know, sure. <laughs> as much as it was a, a vampire film. Um, it's great. And it did. It does look beautiful. It does. Look yeah. Beautiful. I mean, make this movie 10 years prior. It could have been a serial. I mean, it's got yeah. that kind of feel to it. Which, yeah. You know, one of the cinematographers, Bud Thackeray, did work on serials. He did The Crimson Ghost. So, I mean, it does have that vibe. Yes, exactly. And Barcroft, Roy Barcroft was in a bunch of serials as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the main captain was, was he appeared in almost every serial that came out. But no, sure. this movie has a lot going for it. Like I said, just the, the changes in the vampire and what they do with him, and, and it all makes sense. Sometimes they, they add a, a, a piece you know, I, I think uh, I love Hammer Dracula movies, don't get me wrong, and I love them. But, you know, and I forget which one it was when they casually mentioned that uh, vampires can be killed by moving water. You just knew that was how they were going to get rid of Christopher Lee at the end was with moving water, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they uh, I love them, too. I, I adore them. Mm-hmm. But as you go further on and see, like, the Dracula franchise, every once in a while something does creep in. It's like... Really? Because we haven't seen that in any of your other <laughs> Dracula. The Hawthorne bush, huh? Yeah, okay. Exactly. That's exactly well, right. So it's like. Whatever works. <laughs> yeah. We, we've killed him with sunlight. We've done the steak. We need something new or else the fans aren't going to like it, which I don't understand that. But, you know, come up with a plot device. I think in this one, all the, the vampire legends played to the character uh, more than just a convenient way to end the character or get rid of the character. I mean, they did casually say, it, I think. Webb tells Roy, the only way you can kill me is by burning me and scattering my ashes, which, guess what? They, without spoiling, I hope people haven't seen it. <laughs> you could probably <laughs> fill in the blank. But, you know, it started with misdirection. They said, oh, the spear, that, you know, silver tip spear, that'll kill him. And that was in the middle of the movie. And guess what? They didn't kill him. You know, so I like that. This is how we do it. And I was like, didn't work. Now what do we do? (laughs) You know, I think that was great. I, I just think this movie. It has weaknesses. Like I said, I think that the main cast is probably not the strongest that it could be, but overall entertaining front to back. I, I think this oh, has sure. everything with it. And I'm disappointed. I'm, you know, I'm going through and I've been going through uh, Leslie Sal- uh, Salanders. I'm not sure the, where the emphasis is supposed to be on his last name, but mm-hmm. the director, yes. uh, Leslie Salanders. I've been going through his, his uh, filmography. I'm not seeing... At least I don't think I see any other genre work like this. Like you said, this is the 40s. He did a lot of Westerns. The only movie I see that I want to get is Flight to Mars in 1951. He did a movie. Oh, did about, he do that? Yeah, he did uh, Four Guys and a Woman Go to Mars and, and you know, Wackiness Ensues. I've never seen that film. I was just looking on Amazon. It is available on DVD. A little bit pricey, 30 bucks, I think. You know what? I've seen this now that I think because it's got Cameron Mitchell and he plays mm-hmm. a journalist. Yes. 
Yes. That's kind of along for the ride. Yep. That's actually a really cool flick. I didn't realize that was him. Yep, that was him. And then he did a bunch of Lassie. <laughs> he did like 54 <laughs> episodes of Lassie. All of these folks had Western influence. He obviously directed a ton of Westerns from the 30s to the 60s. Peggy Stewart was a, a fairly well-known Western actor. Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys had deep, deep feet in the Western. And again, you know, your Republic, these are Republic movies, Poverty Row kind of stuff. And, and that was what sold on Saturdays was Westerns, you know, Westerns and serials. So you can, you you can understand it, but no, he did a ton of Westerns, but yeah, flight to Mars. That's a movie I I really want to see. I'd recommend it, man. I would, I would recommend it. It's a good one. It's a good one. I didn't make the connection. That was the same guys. Well, other than those two movies, I wish he did more genre work. That's right. That's right. And like I said, other than Lee Brackett, Emmett, Tom Vance, the the dad of Julie's dad, he did, like I said, mummy's tomb and the mummy ghost where he plays Mm -hmm. the corner of both and Tobar the great. He was in that. Oh yeah. You know, so he had the most genre work of all of them, except for Marty Wilkins. Right. He did the I Walked with a Zombie and Zombies on Broadway. And I wonder if that's why this movie holds up for us now, is that sometimes when you start getting to the, especially these days, you know, you have the same people making the same horror movies over and over and over again. I, I wonder if because the horror genre wasn't, I mean, budget-wise maybe, but wasn't as ghettoized. Yes. You know, they're just, it's another project and it's a paying gig. So let's go make this movie and... There yeah. you go. Maybe that's why this movie is a little more special than the others. And, and I got to thinking, you know, if you're an actor and you've done Western after Western after Western after Western, and they throw you this, it's a little bit of fresh air. And I did think you felt that. I, I think you could see that some of the characters, it was a little bit fresh for them. My father, uh, the priest character, I thought he he had fun with the role. You could almost tell it. And I think even Abbott had fun with the role as Webb Fallon. Sure. Uh, I, think it, I think it was a lot of and, – and again, when you go to Lisa – Adele Mara and Roy Barcroft, uh, you know, again, I think they took their minimal roles and really built them out as far as they could. I think it was a lot of cool, a lot of, a lot of fun. There is a lot of fun to be had in this film. And I'm really glad that we finally made it yes. happen. That we finally <laughs> talked about it because one, I wanted to have you on the show proper for a while, awesome. but two, this is a great little movie. And sometimes I feel like with my podcast that, I call it Monster Kid Radio. And I talk about the you know, mid sixties being kind of my cutoff, but mm-hmm. so often I, I kind of go off more and more recently anyway, I kind of go off the beaten path and, you know, to bring a movie like this in, which is clearly of that, that era that, but, but isn't just another movie from that era. I mean, it's got some really unique things to it. It was a fun movie to watch and kind of a breath of fresh air for me to kind of get back to my roots. I guess you can say when it comes to the podcast. Yeah. And and I really believe that it's, it's one that, that a lot of monster kids haven't seen. It's obviously not one of the original shock package uh, films because it's a Republic, but I think it's one of those films that I don't want to say it was lost, but I think if you pull monster kids that, that a lot of them because of the name vampires ghost, Oh yeah, I probably have seen that. But if you really push them, I'll bet you this is a movie that not a lot of monster kids have seen, you know, right. thankfully this, and this is a great time to be, you know, in a way it'd be a monster kid with you know, these Blu-ray releases of all these obscure films. And it seems like a new one's coming out left and right all the time. Um, this is cool. Cause there's been a lot of movies that I, I just saw Colossus of New York. I picked that up when monster bash did uh, Canton, Godzilla movies this past uh, October or past up fall, I picked up Colossus in New York. Never seen that movie before. Now, that one's not quite as unknown, but that was a fun film, and I'd never seen it before, but it's on Blu-ray. What a great time to be alive as a monster kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's great, but maybe not so great for the budget or the bank account. Hey, collect movie posters, and then you'll understand that, you know, buying well, a DVD was... there's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
No, I, I agree with you. There are so many wonderful things coming out left and right. When I do the gift guide at the end of the year, I'm like, man, I could just list so many DVDs and Blu-rays, but I'm sure everybody else has done that too. <laughs> oh, you know, toys and movies and props and you name it. It, it is literally, if if you had a, a bazillion dollars, you could spend a bazillion dollars and, and probably have a great time. And, and it's, it's just fun. It's fun for, that's one of the things I enjoy when I interview different collectors, just to see what people are into. And the fact that people can be into all kinds of different stuff and it's all unique and it's all fun. It's a great time to be a monster kid. It absolutely is. Especially when there's great websites like the haunted cinema to uh, entertain us when we hop online. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, what, what's coming up on the Haunted Cinema? What, if we were to tell people what's coming up in the next few weeks, you have that planned out that far? Yep, I've got some uh, interviews coming up with, uh, uh, actually, Dennis Vincent, who you just recently talked oh, good. about on uh, Monster Kid Radio. Um, I've got an interview with him coming up. I've got uh, some more interviews with some mask makers, uh, Dr. Lady's wife, Laura. I'm going to be talking to her. Um, but we just got a ton of stuff out. I've still got on the pot boiling category. One of the people I interviewed was uh, Nick Berger, who is an Academy Award winning a special effects maker who's done just about everything in genre from the 80s forward. His partner at KMBFX is Greg Nicotero, people know from The Walking Dead. So sure. that's on the he's trying to get me hooked up with Greg Nicotero. So that's coming down the line. Lots more filmmakers. Uh, one of the folks I've been talking to, one of the folks who I've interviewed recently, one of the filmmakers is going to do weekly or monthly, we're not sure yet, kind of an ongoing horror story. So he, he wants to try that where he's going to it's going to be ser- chapterized as we put it on the site. If anybody's interested in writing an article, you can write it once. You can write it. You know, if you want to be continuing, I, I welcome everybody. I love all points of view. And my son, he he writes every now and then. He he asked me the other day, can I write one on a video game? I'm not a video game guy. I'm like, sure. And that got a lot of response. So we kind of bounce all over the place. As long as it's genre, we're in and ready to talk. Right on. And uh, the big question, will you be at Monster Bash this year? I am. I've already got my tickets. I got my room. I only live three hours from there. So in the past, I've just driven over and then driven back in the same day. Uh, this time, I'm going to stay for the entire weekend. I'm coming in Friday, and I'm going to stay through Sunday. So I can't wait. Like I said, uh, this community is so much fun. I want to get – that was one of the things I really wanted to set out to do with Haunted Cinema was – it kind of forces me to inject myself into the community and get out a little bit more and meet people. And that's what I want to do in 2019 is just get to know more people. Well, listeners head over to the haunted cinema.com to get to know Todd and all of his other writers and everything he's got going on. And if nothing else, you can just drool over the images of the posters. And I mean, he didn't just take pictures off the wall. I mean, these are, beautiful full-size images that he's got on his mm-hmm. website so go check that out and then you can bump into him at monster bash or any other local cons that he may be popping up at or keep listening to monster kid radio because dot i want to have you back absolutely and by the way congratulations on the 400th episode i apologize oh, I, was, I was a little late in getting in getting that congratulations in i i've been on the road for my job for quite a bit and my december early january slipped right away <laughs> No worries. So, it's the time of year, man. Yep. It's that time of year. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I wouldn't have hit it without the support of people like you. So thank you thank for you, being sir. part of the Monster Kid Radio experience. All right. The hauntedcinema.com is where you can find everything that Todd's got going on right now. It's a great website. It's really cool. And really, if you're just in the mood to look at some really neat movie art, monster movie art, 
head over there because the vintage poster gallery is full of so many really neat images, classic monster movies, classic genre films, just so cool. I'm looking at it right now as I'm speaking to you through the microphone and the stuff that he's got here. I'm telling you, Todd, if you ever run out of wall space, I can lend you my walls here if you want to, you know, have me hold on to them. I, I told you earlier and I meant it, man. Anyway, Todd's going to be at the Monster Bash this summer, as am I. I can't wait to run into him again. And I can't wait to have you back on the show. We've mentioned like six or seven different films while we were chatting during this conversation. I'm sure one of those or two of those we can use as an excuse to bring you on back to talk about another movie here on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks again, Todd. the unholy four. Now he's on his way back to the land of the living to avenge his own murder. Terror was his only weapon. Wherever he went, his presence awoke their fear and guilt. None of the four was safe from him. Hello, John. Vic, we thought you were dead. None of them could be trusted. Not even his wife. The wife he'd waited four long years to accuse with all the rest. Your corpse doesn't write to his executioner and say, I'm coming back. But I heard a voice. It said, turn around, because It said, I want to watch your face as you go down. Now, let me hear you say it, Bill. You're crazy. Must have been your voice. Let me hear you say it, Bill. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. Sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. What's everybody running? It's the end of everything. What do you mean? I'm not arguing theory, General. I'm here to ask you. 
to beg you to save your own world. It, it, the most fascinating mastermind man can conceive, a monster that can control all sources of the Earth's power, able to pull man-made spaceships from their orbits, making of those it chooses slaves. Of this woman, a willing handmaiden. Of the chief of police, a cold-blooded killer. Well, I've known you for five years. You just killed a man in cold blood. Why? I'll have to place you under protective custody. Peter Graves, the scientist who fought it. Beverly Garland, who believed her love stronger than it. Lee Van Cleef, whose brilliant mind was captured by it. Are you really ready to stop loving me? I'll need you even when no emotion exists. For a few dollars, you can, you can hire a woman who'll fit all your fetishes. You'll match your requirements perfectly. Then if you ever get tired of it, you can always run down to the employment agency for another. You'll know terror to freeze your blood. You'll feel the heart-stopping strength of the most fearful monster ever known. You think you're going to make a slave of the world? I'll see you in hell first. It conquered the world. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I don't know if you follow me on Facebook or not, but I mentioned earlier today uh, as I'm recording this that I love my wife so much that I share everything with her. And that included the nasty cold that I got last week. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm still fighting the tail end of it off. But Brenda, man, it kicked. It just Mm, it knocked her out. She is not up to doing feedback this week. So next week, we'll do some feedback. We do have a little bit of feedback sitting in the hopper, I guess, the, the feedback bucket waiting for us to get into. So that'll be happening next week. And if you want to make sure your feedback gets into the show next week, you know what to do. Email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or send me a message, a phone message at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you want to call in or write in and just let us know whether or not you liked Brenda handling most of the chores last week, talk about the vampire's ghost or the greasy gills or anything else that we've talked about in the previous 407 episodes of Monster Kid Radio, I'd love to hear from you. And we'll put you in the mix next week and make you part of the show. Of course, this information, this contact information is available on our website at monsterkidradio.net where you can find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. Links to the Greasy Gills, links to the Haunted Cinema, a link to Amazon where you can buy your own copy of The Vampire's Ghost on Blu-ray if it's in stock. And if you do that, because we're an affiliate, we get like maybe 15 cents out of the deal, but you're helping Monster Kid Radio out by doing that. I'll also make sure that in the show notes, I mentioned what we're going to be talking about next week on the show, at least that's what I would normally do. Unfortunately, because I'm still just a tiny bit sick, I'm not 100% on top of everything else non-this week's show related. So stay tuned. I'll try to make a point of mentioning it on Facebook and on our website at monsterkidradio.net about what's coming up. But really, the best way for you to find out what's going to be coming next week is just to make sure you download and listen to the show next week. I mean, that's really it, right? Anyway, uh, stay tuned for that. I want to say thank you again to Todd for being part of the show. Kenny's famous Monsters of Film Night segment was great. Jeff sending in that written Weird Wednesday report and then Chris reading it. That was cool as well. 
Also, I wanted to take a moment here. I don't really make a big deal about this on the show, and I feel like maybe I should, because over the past week and a half, two weeks, I've gotten so much cool stuff here at Monster Kid Radio. I just want to send a shout out to everybody who's sent me, uh, let's see, I got a Metropolis action figure, a couple of soundtrack CDs, some really cool movie posters, a movie that I've been looking for that I mentioned during the Julie Adams tribute episode, Slaughter on 10th Avenue. Got that now. Ended up with a handful of Ultraman figures. You guys and gals are spoiling me. I don't know what else to say other than thank you. And I'm doing it this way on the show because sometimes these things come in and there isn't a name on them. So I don't know who they're coming from, uh, especially the, the Japanese uh, toys that have been coming in. So whoever's sending those to me, thank you so much. Uh, what is Japanese for thank you? It's not konnichiwa. That, that's goodbye, isn't it? I don't know. I really ought to learn Japanese. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble, which is probably a clue to me that I need to start wrapping this show up. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Again, monsterkidradio.net is where you're going to find us. Facebook, Twitter, we're over there as well. If you're an iTunes user, please consider leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. If you like Patreon and how they do things, we have a Patreon campaign set up so you can support the show that way. And I think that's it. So until next week, uh, when I hope I'm 100% health-wise again, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Crash Test Mummies, which we played earlier. That belongs to the Greasy Gills. And then the song we're going out with, Tequila Bill. That also belongs to the Greasy Gills, which you can find at thegreasygills.bandcamp.com. Check them out, buy their album, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to you guys and gals in seven days. Ciao. (laughs) 